Amen. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this Easter day. I thank you that you have risen. And Lord, I just thank you that we can come here and worship you today because worthy is the Lamb and we praise you and thank you. Father, we thank you that we can come freely. Lord, we know that around the world many have given uh, their lives to worship you in Sri Lanka this morning, Lord. We just uh, ask that you would be uh, with that country, that you'd be with those people uh, as they mourn and they suffer. But Lord, we thank you that we can come freely and worship you this morning. Uh, help us never to take that for granted, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is a great day. Um, we've had a great couple of days, actually. Uh, yes, uh, Friday. Where are we? We're Sunday. Friday, we came and we celebrated Good Friday. And we, uh, those of you who were here know that we placed our burdens on the cross. Uh, and I think that's just a wonderful symbol of what the cross represents for us. And then yesterday, uh, we uh, came together with our community and we had a, uh, an Easter egg hunt. And it was fabulous. We had, it was probably the best Easter egg hunt that we've had. Uh, it was our fifth annual. And uh, we had more people out from the neighborhood and it was great. And look, there were funny people coming around with bags on their heads and stuff like that and uh, cute little kids. It was so wonderful. And look, even the Easter Bunny showed up. How wonderful is that? And uh, as I talk about the Easter Bunny, Father Christmas walks in. How wonderful. <laughs> Good to see you here, my friend. Um, <laughs> and then what we decided to do was have an adult Easter egg hunt. I thought it was bad trying to control the children. Trying to control the adults was just as demanding. It was awful. It was awful. But what a happy day it is. What a glorious morning this is. I took this photo at 6 o'clock this morning from our car park. What a glorious morning it is. It's a glorious morning for three reasons. The first reason is that Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. It's wonderful, isn't it, to be able to come and celebrate and rejoice that Jesus is alive. And that just changes everything for us. It means that he's with us now and he's promised to be with us always. It means that we can have access to him, access to the Father's love, access to the power and the peace of the Holy Spirit in our lives today and always isn't that great? We're going to have a lot of fun this morning because it's good to come and celebrate the risen Jesus. Yes, fun and church do go together. The second reason that this is a glorious morning is that today my wife can eat chocolate again after her Lenten fast. Praise the Lord. No more grumpy Linda. Kidding, kidding. That was a joke. She's been great, actually, but we get, she gets to eat uh, chocolate again. And the third reason that it's a glorious morning is that we have the baptistry filled. 
and heated, just. <laughs> and at least one person here is going to be baptized this morning. Sherilyn, later on, has decided to take a step of faith this morning and publicly commit to follow Jesus, to put her trust in Jesus. And that is beautiful. It's wonderful. And as we go through this service this morning, there may be some of you who think, you know, I want to be baptized too. Well, there's plenty of water in there, hopefully. You can come and share baptism with us. <clears throat> I love baptisms. So many great baptism stories. I remember my own baptism. I remember uh, Chris Kirk, who's with us today, being baptized here in a tank full of cold water. Fabulous day that was, wasn't it, Chris? And I remember uh, baptizing Big Ben, not the monument in England, but the Big Ben. I don't know if you remember Big Ben. He was big, and I got him down and had real trouble trying to get him back up again. <laughs> I remember a story about a guy who walks out of the pub, and he stumbles across a Pentecostal baptismal service um, on Sunday afternoon down by the river. And he proceeds to walk straight into the river right up to the uh, minister. And uh, the minister says to him, he says, uh, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? And the guy says, yes, I am, sir. And uh, the minister then dunks him down under the water and pulls him right back up. And the preacher asks, have you found Jesus, sir? And the guy said, no, I haven't. And the preacher then dunks him under again for quite a bit longer. And he pulls him back out. He says, now, brother, have you found Jesus? And he says, no, I haven't. And he, he's getting a bit annoyed, the minister. So he dunks him under and holds him under there for quite a time and pulls him back up again and says, now, for God's sake, man, have you found Jesus? And he said, no, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> I'm going to confirm with Sherilyn that she's found Jesus before she goes under the water today. It's a glorious morning. It's a glorious morning. Or is it? Or is it? You see, it depends on your outlook. It depends on how skeptical you are. You see, there's generally two kinds of of people, the trusting people and the doubting people. Which are you? Let's find out. We're going to play a game, a little game of true or false. I'm going to make a statement and you're going to decide whether I'm telling the truth. This game is called, How Much Do You Trust Your Pastor? <laughs> do you trust what I have to say or do you doubt what I have to say? First thing. An ostrich's eye is bigger than its brain. Those of you who think that's true, put your hand up. Those of you who think it's false, put your hand up. It's true. It is true. A jellyfish is 95% water. Hands up if you think that's true. Hands up if you think that's false. Phil's sitting on the fence again as usual. <laughs> Camels, it's true by the way. Camels have three sets of eyelids. True or false? True? False. It's true. <laughs> Children don't get kneecaps, bones, until they're around three years old. Is that true or false? False, anyone? 
It's true. Adrian, you're getting them all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Honey never expires. True or false? Is that true? Or is that false? Hands up, you think that's false. Adrian? (laughs) It is true. Well done. It is uh, some laws that you may not know about. It's illegal to own more than four pet rats at a time in Port Coquitlam. Is that true? Hands up, you think that's true. Hands up, you think that's false. It's absolutely true. (laughs) In Alberta, this is another law, it's illegal to set fire to the leg of a wooden-legged man. (laughs) Is that true? Or is that false? (laughs) It is true. Don't do that in Alberta. You can do it in BC, but not in Alberta. Okay. If you don't pay your hotel bill in Ontario, the hotel can legally sell your horse. Is that true? It is true. Yes. Okay. It's illegal to remove a Band-Aid in public in Canada. Is that true? Is that... Who thinks that's false? It's absolutely true. We're watching. In Quebec City, bless them. It's illegal to swear in French. Is that true? Or is that false? It's true. They, they can swear in any other language, but they can't swear in French. In Vancouver, it's illegal to take your shoes off in church. (laughs) True? Anyone think that's true? False? (laughs) That one is false. Last one. And I'm not going to get you to put your hands up because it might be embarrassing. Jesus has risen from the dead and changes lives. True or false? And because he's risen from the dead, because of this day, Easter Day, our lives are changed forever. Meeting the risen Jesus changes lives. True or false? You see, it's interesting though, the very first Easter, you know, of course we know the story so well, of course we do, we've heard it hundreds of times, but it's almost ingrained in our psyche. But let's stop and think about that first Easter for a minute. Think, uh, go back to that first Easter. Let's be honest, if we had been there, would we have believed the stories that were going around that day about Jesus? Jesus, who you saw being killed on a cross on the Friday, he had a spear stuck in his side, and then they took him down dead, and they put him inside a tomb, a tomb in a rock, and then they rolled this huge stone against the tomb, and they put two guards outside the tomb. That Jesus, the stories that some women come back from the tomb and said, I've seen Jesus alive. Would we have believed it, or would we have doubted it? 
you know, I'll be honest here, if that were me, I would have been like all the others. I would have said, that's ridiculous. That can't be true. I, you know what? I can't believe that. Sorry. And this morning, we're going to read about a man who was like that, who was skeptical. He was a doubter, and he doubted it to be true. But, but then he met the risen Jesus, and his life changed forever. This guy, believing, was seeing. We're going to read a few verses from from John. Uh, John chapter 20. We're going to start uh, at verse, what's that, 19. I'm just going to read a few verses. If you want to follow it along, you can. If not, I'll just read it out to you. On the evening of that first day of the week, so that's Easter day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let's skip on to verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples at that time when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, you're off your head. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. (laughs) A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Come here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it by my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at this guy, Thomas, uh, and how his doubting, his skepticism actually led him to a belief, a living faith in Jesus. And in particular, I want us to focus on what he saw that made him believe. Okay? So that's where we're going. So, uh, We're told in verses 19 and 20, the disciples on that first Easter Sunday evening were all together in a room trying to figure out what's going on, what to believe. Are these women right? What, you know, um, can we believe it or not? And apparently, Jesus appears to them and he walks through the door. (laughs) I'd love to have been there. A locked door. And they see him with their own eyes and they talk to him and they're overjoyed. We're told that they're overjoyed. He really is alive. They've seen and believed. 
And they were all there except one, Thomas, the disciple Thomas. We don't know why he's there. Maybe he preferred, I don't know, to be alone with his grief and his sorrow. Some of us are like that, aren't we? But now the others had told him that they had seen Jesus, their Lord. But Thomas couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He wanted to believe. Of course he did. But before Thomas would believe, he had to personally see Jesus. He had to experience Jesus for himself. Now, poor Thomas has got a bad rap down through the centuries because he doubted. We even call people now who are cynical, what do we call them? We call them doubting Thomases. That's what we call them. But let's put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. I probably would have a hard time believing what the other disciples were telling me. I would take some convincing. I, like Thomas, would, I would say, I'm going to need to see it for myself. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's a bit like I could say to Michael, I know Michael likes cars. Michael loves cars. I could say to Michael, I've got you a new Lamborghini out in the parking lot, Michael. And of course, Michael's going to believe me because I'm a pastor. But no, he's not. He's going to want to see the car, isn't he? It makes (laughs) at least the keys. I could give you keys. (laughs) But it makes sense. And that's where Thomas is coming from. We would be like that, wouldn't we? Okay, fast forward. Seven days later, we find the disciples, this time with Thomas, in a room together. And notice again, it's a locked room. Why is it locked? Well, in a very real sense, they were hiding. Hiding away from the world. Maybe Thomas was even... Maybe Thomas was even hiding away from Jesus. Why would he hide? Well, perhaps fear. He was afraid that maybe he was going to be arrested like Jesus. He had seen Jesus arrested. He had seen Jesus tortured. He had seen Jesus go through a trial. He had seen Jesus die. And of course, he would have been afraid. Fear makes us hide away doesn't it? We had the Easter Bunny turn up yesterday. And um, unfortunately, the Easter Bunny scared some of the children. (laughs) Abigail, bless her, she's overcome her fear. Praise the Lord. She's, uh, She's overcome that fear of that nasty bunny. But some of the kids, they saw this really strange man. Bunny. And they would run to their parents. And you know what kids do when they run, when they're afraid? They hide away. They hide away. Maybe Thomas hid because he was afraid. But maybe he was also hiding away because of the shame and guilt. You see, he knew, he knew that he shouldn't have run away from Jesus. He knew that he had let Jesus down. He had abandoned him. Someone that he had spent three years with closely, experiencing amazing things. And yet, in his time of need, 
Thomas runs away. He's got all that guilt and shame going on. I was speaking to someone this week who's really struggling with his faith, and he said, you you know, I know God is there, but I've spent my life running away from him. I can't face up to God because all I feel is guilt and shame for the life that I've led. Maybe that was Thomas. Maybe that's why he hid away, because of the guilt and the shame. So Thomas and his friends were hiding and the door was locked, but we're told in verse 26 that, oh, here comes Jesus. Through the locked door again. And notice what he says. Peace be with you. You see, Jesus never comes to condemn. He never comes to pour more guilt, more shame onto us. He always, always, always comes with His peace. And His grace and His love, always, always. And notice what Jesus does. He makes a beeline to Thomas who probably, like most doubters, when they realize the truth, is standing there with his jaw on the ground. His gob is absolutely smacked. His mouth is moving, but nothing is coming out. You get the picture, but Jesus speaks to him. Notice again that Jesus doesn't condemn him for his doubts, He doesn't um, condemn him for his fear or his shame or his lack of trust or his lack of faith. No, he meets him where he is. He says, Thomas, I know you doubt. I'm going to meet you in your doubts. Come see and believe. And he says, put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know what, this is something we all need to hear on this Easter day. No one is excluded from seeing and experiencing the risen Jesus. No one. Not the fearful, not the guilty, not the shameful, not the doubters. No one. No one is excluded from experiencing the risen Jesus in their lives on this Easter day. Isn't that great news? Now, here's the thing. Why was it that Thomas needed, or what was it that Thomas needed to see in order to believe in the risen Jesus? Was it his face? Was it his clothes? Did he want Jesus to do a seminar on the theology of the cross and the resurrection before he believed. No. He wanted to see the scars. Have you ever wondered why the scars? Why did he want to see the scars? Everyone has scars. 
Where do you have scars? Keep it clean. Where do you have scars? Tell, tell me where you have, on your lip, okay, on your cheek, on your finger, on your jaw, knees, one there. If anyone's having a, had a vasectomy, don't show me, but uh, where, anyone, uh, yes, yes, I, can, I know where your scars are, Philip. Everyone has scars. I have a scar. I have a scar on my finger here. I did that playing cricket. I caught a cricket ball in the wrong place and it split my finger open. That was when I was 18 years old and it's still there. I have a scar on my knee, uh, which is from playing rugby when some guy thought my knee was the ball and decided to rake my knee uh, with his cleats. And I've just got this new little scar here uh, that I mentioned last week. Uh, on my face. Everyone has scars. And you know what? Behind every scar, I bet you you could tell me a story about that scar and how you got that scar. Isn't it interesting that the resurrected body of Jesus still had scars? God raised his son from the dead and forgot to get rid of the scars. You know, oh, oh, no, I knew I forgot something. Oh, grave clothes folded, yeah, got that. Oh, the scars. I forgot, I'm getting forgetful in my old age. No, there was a reason why the scars are there. Those scars that Thomas wanted to see told a story. The story of Jesus' death. They told the story of Jesus' humanity. Yeah, Jesus was fully divine. He was fully God, but he was fully human. He was one of us. You see, we're sometimes suspicious of people who seem to be too perfect, aren't we? You know, those people who get up in the morning and their hair is absolutely perfect and their makeup is just, just so great. Or those people in their mid-50s who have no signs of graying hair or wrinkles. Do not trust them. <laughs> but there's something about scars that make us real, isn't there? Believable trustworthy. The scars of Jesus remind us that Jesus felt pain just as we feel pain. Those scars remind us that Jesus suffered just as we suffer. To Thomas, the scars meant that this was indeed his friend, the Lord Jesus, who he'd sinned, die, and was now risen with scars. Do you know what that means? We have a permanently scarred God. Think about that. We have a permanently scarred God. And he comes, all scarred, to be with us. Those who bear scars. Those who carry wounds. Those who harbor doubts. And do you know what he does? He takes our scars, our physical scars, our emotional scars... And he begins to redeem them. 
He begins to heal them. He begins to turn them into something wonderful and beautiful. The scars are still going to remain because they're, they're part of who we are. And they're part of our story. But when we meet the risen Jesus, they become part of his story too. And part of the work he does in transforming us. Scars and all. If there's one thing to say hallelujah for on this Easter day, it's that, my friends. It is that. In Japan, they have an art form. Some of you may know this. Kintsugi? Kintsugi? Which means golden joinery or to patch up with gold. It's an ancient custom of repairing cracked pottery with real gold. Basically turning what is broken into something beautiful. Cherished pieces. And, and what they do is they seal the cracks and the crevices cav- uh, with lines of gold, fine gold. And instead of hiding the flaws, the Kintsugi artists highlight them. So create this whole new design and bringing a unique beauty to the original piece. And the pottery actually becomes more valuable afterwards. Isn't that lovely? Something that was once broken, that had all this history, has now a new story. It reinforces a profound belief that the repair can make things not only as good as they were before, but better than before. My friends, that is us when we meet the risen Jesus. Our scars are still there forever. They're beautifully redeemed, beautifully healed. I'm going to, Emily, would you mind popping down and asking the kids to to come up? Because we're going to be, thank you, my dear, we're going to be moving on to baptism in a moment. But I just want you to notice what happens when Thomas sees the scars of Jesus. He falls at his feet and he says, uh, he probably blurts out, I don't know, my, my, my Lord, my God. What else do you do? What else do you do? It must have been a wonderful moment. And it was a moment that changed Thomas's life forever. He went from an insecure, hesitant, fearful, shamed doubter to a humble, obedient, courageous follower. Do you know what happened to Thomas? Thomas, um, he, about 10 years after this encounter with Jesus, he sailed to the southernmost tip of what is now India. And he was the first apostle to go to India and preach the good news of Jesus. To share and show that the risen Jesus can change lives. And I bet he used his testimony a lot. And he stayed there for about 20 years until eventually he was killed for his faith. Friends, meeting the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus who displays scars, can and does change lives. True. True. 
The risen Jesus can take us with all our scars and begin to heal them, redeem them, and make them in and us into something new and beautiful. And this is what baptism is all about. Sherilyn is going to come up in a moment. And she's going to come today not to declare that she's perfect. That's right, Sherilyn. Isn't it? I just want to, don't want to put words into your mouth. But you're not perfect, are you? There you go. Not to declare that she's perfect. Not to say that she's got it all together. Not to say that her life is going to be a bed of roses from now on. But she's going to come up here in a moment and declare that she's prepared to follow the scarred Jesus who's working on her own scars, taking those scars and turning them into something beautiful. Sherilyn, why don't you come and share with us a little bit. Bring, uh, where's Arlene? She's going to come with you. Sherilyn has been very nervous, but uh, I told her that she's amongst friends, so give her a smile when she gets up here. Why don't you come and uh, tell us why you want to be baptized, my dear. Good morning, everybody. Did you ever ask me why I wanted to be baptized? A while ago, I almost died. When I came to, the nurse said that my first words were, I love you, Jesus. This led me to start doing what I thought Jesus wanted of me. I started helping his people. He kept me safe and taught me what I needed to know. My world had expanded a lot, but Jesus somehow got left behind. Recently, I got really ill again, and yet again, God chose to keep me here, and I was sad. I couldn't understand why. Then I heard and saw how all of you here like me, in your love for Jesus. The difference was that all of you made a commitment to God. Well, I haven't committed to anyone or anything ever, and uh, I just served as a good employee. A lot of people here helped me see that God wanted me to be more than a good employee. He has a new path for me to go on. This scares me, but the energy and love I feel around me makes it easier. Yeah, um, easy. Also, it tells me it's time to make this commitment through baptism. Now it's time for me to take a new journey, enter a new phase of my life, a new beginning, and I'm asking you, if possible, to help me continue to seek God's love and service. That's wonderful. Sherilyn, I'm going to give you a verse, and then we're going to go swimming, okay? It's a verse from 
Jeremiah, I'll write it down for you, you don't have to remember it now. Jeremiah 31:13. Then maidens will dance and be glad. I want you to dance and be glad. Young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. That's my prayer for you all as we go into baptism. Okay, I need to take this off, otherwise I'm going to kill myself.